Hey guys, Toby and I here, just popping in right before the episode. We have an interview with uh, Liz Miele, who is a stand-up comedian of about 18 years. So she knows what she's doing. And you can tell because she just, I mean, I did little to no editing in this podcast. Normally there's at least, a, there's, you know, I take out a couple minutes here and there. But for this, it's like, she knew what she was saying. Yeah, all the stuff that I usually do for this uh, podcast and behind the scenes because... Uh, I do a lot. I honestly didn't have to touch up much because... Yeah, Toby does probably the most work out of the three of us. I mean, I'm I'm kind of known for my work ethic. My drive, I think, is probably the best yeah. trait I have. Yeah, and it's really, it was really good. Thank you to Liz Miele for making Toby not do any more, any work. And You're just giving me a break for once, you know? Yeah, you deserve it, buddy. <laughs> you, you, des- you, deserve a, you deserve a break. No, but in all seriousness, amazing comedian. Go check her stuff out on YouTube. She has pretty a lot of stuff up there. She's got a new special coming out at the end of the month on May 30th. She's also got a podcast uh, called Two Non-Doctors, which is really good. And yeah, so if you like listening to her, which I'm sure you will, because she's really fucking Because good. we do. Yeah. And you listen to us. That's <laughs> how our podcasts work. Um, go check her out. Let's get into the interview. Let's do it. Your boy. Chip, 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 chip. It's a boy. Your fly's been open all day. If I'm wearing a mask, it really doesn't matter if your dick is out. I'm only doing it for my parents' marriage. Four days of not brushing my teeth. Nazis are the best. You literally look like an 80s rapist. I actually forgot, like, how I brush my teeth. aren't as creepy as I thought they would be. Take a sip. Everyone take a sip before we okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, welcome back to Back Deck Radio. Today we have on a very special guest, Liz Mealy. Hi. And uh, she's a comedian. And I mean, I guess, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself or tell the listeners what you do and how you do it? Yeah. I mean, I don't do it anymore. So that's kind of hard. Um, I'm, I'm a stand-up comic. I, up until a couple of months ago, traveled around the world telling jokes and uh and I don't do that anymore um I'm kind of retired I told uh my great uncle who just retired a couple years ago I was like are you upset that you had to wait 65 years to retire and now everybody's retired and (laughs) he he didn't find it funny Um, but I think it's ridiculous because I I truly I'm 34 years old and I'm like oh I always knew I was useless and non-essential but I'm, I'm really finding out how true that is right now oh sorry i just want to interject uh, we are essential workers as essential uh, workers i mean yeah. it's really good for other people to be aware that they're less important to us because we work yeah. at a liquor store <laughs> yeah dude you guys are the forefronters like without you there would be so much more murder right now so <laughs> i think that like because they're saying what there's more death than than vietnam but if we didn't have like in the states where weed is legal and then the fact that liquor if liquor wasn't available or cigarettes weren't available i think the death toll would be three times as much so i'm only doing it for my parents marriage but <laughs> yeah no also like the fact that you get out of the house like i know it's a risk and you might die but i really feel like isn't this a gift to you that you get to work oh yeah, right 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. uh but yeah i so yeah I, i'm a touring stand-up comic i'm trying to adjust and pivot and do more stuff on zoom and do like more virtual shows but just the structure of how stand-up works a it's not fun doing it virtually and also there's 
kind of consequences because um, my jokes, especially my polished jokes, the ones that are done, I tour around the country and the element of surprise is what, and, and just the live performance is why people come out to see me. So there is a little bit of worry about do, doing too many Zoom shows to the point where when you know, people can see me live again, I won't have anything new to say to them because I'm not really living a life right now. So what am I fucking writing about? But then also, <laughs> if they see all my, my polished work, they're going to come see me live and be like, yeah, I've heard all this shit. So yeah. I'm trying to be both adaptive to the Zoom culture that's happening right now, but also be aware that I, I can't really give away all the goods because that's how I'm going to make money hopefully someday we don't in some unforeseen future i you know i really think live performance is going to be the last thing that comes back and i think people are going to be scared on top of the fact that we're a luxury item so a lot of people won't have money to go see it anyway yeah that's that was kind of my first uh, question that i was going to ask you about corona which you kind of addressed already the first one of how stand-up has changed since this has been happening i guess the second thing i wanted to ask was how do you think this is going to affect stand-up in the future once this is all over what i find fascinating is I'm both one of the best comics that utilize social media and interacting with fans, but I'm also an old lady and I hate it. So <laughs> I, I'm a slow learner. You know, I've had to learn. So I started a podcast because of this. I had to learn everything it takes to record a podcast and get it up online and blah, blah, blah. Then, you know, I'm doing these Zoom shows. So now I have to figure out, like, I knew a little bit about ticketing from doing my own tour, but like how to ticket for Zoom, how to le learn how to use Zoom. I've used Zoom wrong. Then all the other things that are happening, I never did an Instagram live until this stuff. So there's all these little baby things built on the knowledge I already have, or just full blown new websites and programs and ideas that I had to learn. And I'm dyslexic. I'm a slow learner. I always tell people like, I'm not dumb, but it does take me two to four times longer than the average person to understand something, to grasp it, and to feel comfortable doing it. And it causes me, a, like, it exhausts me and it causes me a lot of stress. So in some ways, there are things I should have been doing pre-pandemic for my career that I wasn't doing because I didn't need to and I didn't want to learn. And now I forced myself to learn and I'll be able to utilize that even after stand-up live performance comes back. So that's like a, a positive. And I do think more people are watching stuff on Netflix and online, on YouTube. More people are doing stuff from home because they have kids or they don't have the means to come see me, you know, in Australia if I'm not touring there. So there are benefits to this virtual world, getting good at it and utilizing it and integrating it into your career. That being said, I don't know what stand-up's going to look like when it comes back. You know, I've joked, I'm friends with clearly a bunch of bookers and, and club owners. And I've, I've joked about the same way, like you go to like a lobster place and you get those little hand wipes or whatever. Like we'll have these Clorox wipes on every table and like yeah. a waitress will give you your drink and you'll wipe it down. And you're like putting a straw under your mask and everybody lives in a little bubble. And like, I have my own little like plastic bubble sheet because I'm a spitter. <laughs> and, like, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of said like Gallagher was before his time and we're all going to have like tarps on us as we perform, <laughs> but I don't know if it's as silly. As, like, you know, this was something I was joking about a month ago and now I'm like, yo, I'll start making tarps like it has <laughs> to fucking bring this shit back. I, I think, I think there's going to be two types of people. I think there are going to be the people that are like, I don't give a fuck. And, you know, it doesn't matter. And I think they're going to be the people that are scared until there's a vaccine. And I don't, I kind of side with both people. Like, I, I'd love to come back to stand up and I, I, I miss it. But I also don't want to be the person that endangers people. And like, 
when you think of like the beaches, like people are like, why did they shut down the beaches? Well, people, there's always people that are going to go fuck it and go. And you have to corral the people that don't care about people or they don't understand the real risks of it. So you could open up the comedy clubs and people will come and I want them and I want to perform for them, but I don't want to be the person that endangers people because there's a group of people that don't care or understand how uh, detrimental this can be for others. So that's really the hard thing is that I, I would do anything to come back, but I don't want to endanger people. And I don't think, especially with New York being the epicenter, I, I think there's a lot of precaution going on. I think my biggest fear is that clubs will shut clubs will shut down by the time we do reopen because right now clubs are on a path from anywhere from three months to eight months of being reopened. And what mm-hmm. business can last without making money like that? Then New York City is a tourist city, but who's fucking coming to New York right now? Who's going to... Who's going to come to New York after this opens? They're all coming so, here. We're in, we're in Jersey. And yeah, we're in Jersey, are you guys? Uh, Ocean County. Okay, I grew up uh, right outside of Princeton. So that makes sense why you guys like who I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jersey trash recognizes Jersey trash. Yeah. Um, what exit yeah. though? What exit though? <laughs> uh, I think it's nine. <laughs> it's so funny. When you don't drive, you start Fuck to- exit like, nine, dude. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll fight you. Don't-, don't take a All right, we're ending this now. We're getting right Dudley. When I moved to New York, so I, I came to New York when I was 18 to go to college and- I never liked Jersey. Like, you know, there's Jersey pride inside you, but you're also like, I'll sell my Jersey pride for like a stick of gum. Like I don't care that (laughs) much, but everybody had Jersey pride tattoos. Cause like I was in New York and that so many Jersey people came and I was like, Oh, I don't love New York, but I really like pretend uh, like love New Jersey, but I really like pretending I have Jersey pride and just like having a giant Jersey on the back of my, like on my back. Yeah. Are you from? And I'll be like, you know where the fuck I'm from. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've I have a weird relationship with New Jersey because I grew up in London my whole life, and then I go to college here now. But uh, my I've always come here for the summers because we're in a, a beach town right now, and yeah. so yeah, I've I know this, I kind of know the weird struggle of like because in England it's like like I love the English comedy style, but is it, there is definitely like I couldn't think of much more far away people than people from New Jersey, like Italian Americans from New Jersey. And then like the polite English people. So I had a weird forming of my, my personality growing up. Well, I mean, what's really fascinating about that is London's my second home. Like, honestly, I started doing stand-up when I was 16 years old. And Caroline's, um, which is on Broadway in New York City, was one of the first clubs to really put me up a lot. And it's right in the heart of Times Square. It's a lot of tourists. And very early in my career, you know, I did well enough. I worked. I, I, I had a very fortunate early career, and I'm grateful for it. But, you know, I was very dark. I was very monotone. And it was only English people after shows that were coming up to me being like, you're amazing. You're so funny. And I'm like, that's crazy. Nobody feels that way. (laughs) Brilliant. Yeah. And I started to think, oh, maybe I was born in the wrong place. Like maybe like and I think a lot of people start to see this, especially like when you start dating and stuff where you're like, maybe these people aren't the right people for me. And I have to travel across the world or somewhere else to find my people. Are you dating an English guy right now? No, I'm not. I have dated them. They're the worst. Um, (laughs) uh, So don't get excited. But what I find fascinating is I started what I noticed that very early into my career, I think I was like 20 years old. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to get to London. And it was really hard. Everybody's like, you're not going to make money. So I had to kind of wait until I had a little bit of a fan base and I had like a a couch to crash on. So I, I went out there for the first time eight years ago and murdered like was doing a, like it was 
I'm not exaggerating. Some of my best laughs, some of my best shows were in London. And I was like, oh, I found my people. <laughs> and I started working out there. I did the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I got my, I um, got a UK agent. I had the, I'm not with them anymore, but I had the same agent as Eddie Izzard. And I grew up watching Eddie wow. Izzard. So I was like, I've made it. <laughs> but what I find fascinating is the same way I feel about New York crowds and, and just the laughs I get from New York and being able to just be the dark, fucked up version of myself. That's how I felt about London. Even though you guys grew up so differently, like New York is like, oh my God, she's saying how I feel. And I love how honest she is. London is she's saying how I feel and I'm not allowed to say it. And I love how honest she is. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. just like, I feel like we're actually very similar, but Americans in general, and especially East coasters kind of have that like, ah, go fuck yourself and I'll fucking kill yeah. you. And people are like, you guys are like, why would you say that? But also that's kind of awesome that you said yeah. that. So <laughs> I feel a, 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 actually a kinship to you, but I could see how you moving to New Jersey, like I could see how you might get like dicked around a li little bit for being polite or not speaking your mind. I was like, I didn't even just move here. I like, I just spent every summer here. So I would go from being like polite, reserved kid in London to growing up with this fucking guy and being <laughs> just the biggest asshole. Like, <laughs> hey, what, what's your chill to polar ratio there? <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, it's weird. I, I, I think your comedy delivery is quite suited to the English like English comedy, just because I feel like a lot of American comedians are much more like animate, like can be really, really, and in my opinion, too over the top in the delivery a lot of the times, where, yeah. where you're kind of not like that. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I, I do try to let my written word speak for itself. I've started to show more of my anger. I started out very monotone and very scared to show who I was. I was a, very much a shy kid. Um, so the first fear was just, will people understand me and listen to what I say? And it took over 10 years for me to start to really show the person that I am around my friends, which is I'm very gregarious. I clearly use my hands too much. Um, I'm, I can I'm, tell. I do, I, that's the problem with these Zoom shows is I literally look like I'm a cat toy because my hands are <laughs> Well, don't worry. We don't release the video stuff. So. Yeah. So... So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very in my private life, you know, I'm a kind person. I'm a loving person, but I'm also like, I was just joking with my roommates. I can go from zero to 60 fast where I'm just like, yo, did the landlord fix the thing? I will fucking murder his family. Like, like it just, I like, I, and it's being able to show people that and not be as, because I am embarrassed. Like I embarrassed that, that I sometimes can't control my anger or how passionate and angry I do get. And so being able to show that, but also being able to care about the words I'm saying, not just the action of what I'm talking about. And I've always been a little miffed and confused when I think delivery is important. And there's a lot of brilliant comics that I think their delivery sells themselves really well. But I get a little peeved, I think, as a written comic when I can kind of see a little bit of the puppet behind the person where it's just like these, what they're saying isn't that interesting or unique. They just are a performer. And yeah. That's great, but I think for me, good stand-up comedy and enjoyable stand-up comedy has a layer of both. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you said you started at 16. What, like, what made you want to do it? Was it like, some, were you always the funny kid or was it something, some bit that you had that made you want to pursue it? What, what was the spark? I was so sad. Nobody likes my answer. I was absolutely miserable as a kid. I was um, Mental very Mental illness gang. Yeah. <laughs> Jersey Depression. gang. Yeah. Jersey gang. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jersey, you know, there's not a lot to do. I did a lot of drugs, Fuck but I, yeah, yeah. What else are you going to do? So I, I mean, now I know I did drugs because I didn't like myself and I was sad and I, I didn't have coping mechanisms. So I used it to numb out because my, I grew up in a very strict house and 
while I am a like, I ah, go fuck yourself kind of person that wasn't accepted in my house. So all that anger and all that feeling I had to keep inside and that can cause a lot of sadness. And so to not feel my feelings, I did drugs like, and then when I started to do stand up, I stopped doing drugs because I had this outlet and I had this thing that got me up in the morning. And, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, I really do think stand up saved me. But to answer your question, I, I started, I discovered stand up when I was like 13, 14 years old. And I always thought I wanted to be Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock in the 90s was like Pratt Falls and like, just like kind of like she was girl next door, you know, kind of, you know, pretty enough, you know, relatable. But she was, you're just like, you're like, I'm not a model, but I'm not trash. Where do I fit in? Um, fit in in Jersey. That's where you fit in. Yeah, just, like, I am, I am such a nine in New Jersey. Why did I ever move to New York? But my feeling was like, I just felt really sad and I felt really unseen. And I felt really like I had opinions and thoughts, but they weren't, uh, there weren't allowed to flourish and I didn't know how to express myself. And I knew I liked when I made my parents laugh. And I used to always quote like SNL and like, I loved like Mike Myers on SNL and like Dana Carvey and Adam Sandler and Chris Farley and David Spade. So like I would always mimic SNL sketches. And I loved that Sandra Bullock was this approachable person that was getting laughs and was like kind of quirky. And that's how I felt. And then I discovered stand up, and I was like, fuck that shit. I just want to talk and I want all the attention. Everybody listens, listens to me. I get all the laughs. And it was like, it just felt like a secret door was open and somebody's like, hey, you could have everything you want. And it looks like this. I mean, 16, like to have the balls to do that. I, at age 16, I was still watching porn on Incognito browser. <laughs> like, that is unreal. Like, yeah, I wrote about our sponsor, NordVPN. Thank you, NordVPN. <laughs> 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 yeah, you can still be tracked even if you're incognito. Thanks to NordVPN. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny about that, I mean, first of all, I'm a girl. I was porn. The best part about being a female comic is I'm not distracted by sex. <laughs> so I get more done. I think, I think women are, you know, are kind of taking over in the sense that I get more done in a day because I'm not nearly as distracted. As you should. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Your support means so much to me. I'll teach you. It's, it's a vagina class. It's going to be very mutilating, but I think we can really help you. But to me, like, you have to understand, I had a lot of responsibilities as a kid. I'm the second oldest of five. My parents worked like these 80-hour weeks. There was a lot put on me to do, and I didn't have any release. And stand-up was this release, both watching it, even trying to write it. Um, you know, I definitely before stand-up was a, writing bad poetry in my room. And I early on realized I like the attention I get when I'm funny. And I think this is some, and my mom is really funny. My dad's like dad funny, but my mom is like dark fucked up funny. Like I'm, we started, um, my podcast that I started is called Two Non-Doctors. And it's just me and my friend who lives in London. She's not English, but she moved out there uh, years ago. Um, she likes fucking guys with your accent. And um, <laughs> so, What's her so number? yeah, exactly. She's, she's get her totally on the ready. Zoom call. Can we get her in here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maria. Um, uh, we brought my mom in because we're just kind of talking about health and stuff. My mom is a veterinarian. And then my mom is also a competitive power lifter. She's done every diet since the sixties. Like she just has like a more adult, thoughtful and kind of crazy version of health. And so we started to bring her on and all the comments are like, your mom is fucking funny. And I'm like, I know, but like, <laughs> it's dark. And it's like, I don't think I realized how much of an influence my mom had on me in that sense, where like, my mom would say the most fucked up thing and we would laugh. But it wasn't until later that I was like, oh, that's not funny to a lot of people. And that's also <laughs> not okay to say. Like today I tweeted, 
I was actually pretty scared to post this, but I think it's brutally honest and funny. But this is what I tweeted today. I wrote, everyone's grandmas are dying and I'm feeling so fortunate that mine have always been dead. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like that one. I saw that. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, it's how I feel. You know, I, I, my grandparent, you know, everybody except for one grandfather died before I was born. I didn't grow up with grandparents. I, you know, I don't really have, there's a couple like older aunts and uncles that I have a relationship with, but I don't really have that. And I clearly have sympathy for people that are losing people, but that's where my brain goes is like, oh, it's kind of funny that I feel pretty good about not having to lose people right now. We like, know people who have even a worse mindset of like, yeah, like be kind of shitty if my grandma dies, but like that beach house though, yeah, <laughs> would be exactly. kind of sick. <laughs> and, that's, and that's a little bit where my brain is and where my mom's brain was, is like, we have so much mental illness in our family. There's so much loss. Like, my, my story, my mom's story, my dad's story, it's really dark and sad, but we've laughed about it. Even my brother, my brother is bipolar one and was in and out of mental institutions and we talk about it and he's doing great now and I'm very grateful. My brother's the funniest person you'll ever meet. Funniest person in my family. I'm not exaggerating. Better than most comics I've ever met. He's, we're fucking dark. Like I remember my brother really was mentally ill was scary to be around and he would just eat Wawa sandwiches on the porch and drink gallons of water. He couldn't, he wouldn't go in the house. My parents are like, I think we need to put him in the hospital. Like it was really bad. And my mom is scared of him, but she's taking care of him. And at some point my brother said something to her. She goes, at some point you have to stop being a fucking feral cat on my porch and get your <laughs> life together. And my brother who couldn't laugh, like he was just too far gone. They both started hysterically laughing. Cause my mom's just like, I'm tired of like, pushing sandwiches under a floor like on the floor for you to eat like you're a fu- like a feral cat and, like, <laughs> it's fucking like, beautiful though it is though and the fact that we were able to laugh about it at the scariest time and then also able to laugh about it years later because my, my brother's on the right medication and he's doing great and like we've experienced some of the saddest moments in our lives and stuff that most people shut down and i think there is some catharsis and healing to being able to openly talk about it and to make jokes about it. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the people that can't make jokes about it. They're just I'm normal. Just saying, I, it, <laughs> They're not from Jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't even say it's normal. It's just that's, that's their healing mechanism, and this is our healing mechanism. And I feel fortunate that I grew up in a family that even if we didn't talk about our feelings, because we're definitely toxic in that way, we at least joked about our feelings. And so when I was 16, it felt like there was no other option. Even I look back at who I was and I don't consider myself a brave person or somebody that takes a lot of risks. But in my mind, I felt like I could be miserable at home and never try, or I could try. And if I fail, who cares? I'm 16. (laughs) And do you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is? Yeah, I hate him. Yeah, really? he's from my area, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, whether you're going to tell your not, best friends with him, I'm going to be an asshole. Because- <laughs> no, no. It's, it's, I don't. I don't know him personally. But you know, I discovered Gary V when he came out with his first book called Crushing It, probably like ten years ago, and it's actually what really helped me start to utilize social media for my stand-up. And he can be a lot. He's very intense. At least he's aware that he's intense. But what I like about him, and what I've, what my father has also instilled in me, is if you fail and nobody sees it, does it really matter? You learn something from it. So even like, I just joined TikTok. I'm too old to be on TikTok, it's weird. Dude, I watched a girl, like, cause you don't know what the videos are coming up. I watched a girl and I thought it was gonna be a funny video because at this point I play around on it enough that it's mostly like cat videos and, and people doing sketches. So this girl pops up, probably like 16 years old, 
and she starts dancing. And in my mind, I think it's going to become a sketch. But next thing you know, I'm like, oh, I'm just watching a girl sexy dancing. This is <laughs> yeah, it's not a sketch. It's never a no, sketch. It's, it's, it's a risk because... But it is, yeah, I was like, I was like, I feel like a pedophile. I was like, swipe, so I don't want to yeah. watch this. Think about us as a 20-year-old guy and you're going on TikTok. You see something and you, you weren't ready for it. You didn't mean to feel like you have a You feel like guilt where you've got to go look at this girl online and find her age and deep stalk her just to not feel guilty. Like that's yeah, a yeah, terrible yeah. thing to you're be. Like, exactly. You're like, actually, she's 22. It's not that bad. There needs to be a verification. Like you have the blue check on Instagram. There yeah. needs to be like a red check when a girl is under 18 on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're like, I'm not going to watch this. I just don't want to go down the rabbit hole of being like, am I attracted to the six? As a straight woman, I was just like, her hips don't lie, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is too much. Mom, but I'm watching for the choreography. Come on, yeah, stop. I'm trying to learn the moves. Yeah, exactly. You're like, ah. But I, I do think, the, I don't consider myself the most mature person, but I think my dad very much instilled in me that what's the harm in trying? And if you fail, you fail and it's not a big deal, but you can also fail upwards. So the example with TikTok is I've put videos on TikTok and like, uh, I think my best one is like a heckler video and it has like 700,000 views. It got me followers. Now people are watching my standup. That's all that I care about. But I'll put a video up that I know isn't going to do well. It's only going to get like 300 views, but that's 300 people that saw it. If it's advertising a show or my podcast, maybe we get 20 followers from it. Who cares? Yeah. Who ca like, yes, the goal is to get half a million followers, but if I don't get a half a million, if I get 20, that's still 20 more than I had before. And I don't care that somebody sees my TikTok and sees it only got 300 views. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. So I think that's kind of how I felt as a 16 year old, which is I want to do it. I'm scared to do it. I don't think I'm going to be good at it, but I'm, I'll never know if I don't try. And I don't know if I'll live with myself if I don't try. So I might as well try. And if it doesn't work out, Three people know it didn't work out. My three friends that I have know it didn't work out. Nobody else does. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot, you know, there that I think our 57 consistent listeners can take away from that. <laughs> <And> certainly, <laughs> I will take away from that. <laughs> but, it's, yeah. but it's true, though. You also, everyone starts from zero. Everyone does. So you joke that you have 57 listeners, but you don't know if famous Liz Mealy comes on, and, <laughs> you know, and you get now a thousand listeners. And then from that, somebody, you get somebody bigger because you can utilize the fact that you got me on it. Or I recommend, Hey, these guys aren't as creepy as I thought they would be. You should. That was probably the thing we were most nervous about is that I was, we're trying to be not fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, no, you, did, you did a great job. And I was like, sure. Like, don't get me wrong. I had fears. Like I, I, <laughs> I, you guys could be boring. You guys could be ugly. There's so many fears. And, I mean, like, we like, make up for it. I, like, all right. <laughs> yeah, we make up for it. Everyone I, I love that you start, like, hair flipping. I, I'm, I'm actually, like, I feel like a mama bear right now. I'm very proud of you for reaching out to me. The worst, could, the worst I could have said is no. And, I, and I've said no to people. But I also, I also have great empathy and have been the fortunate receiver of somebody saying yes to me. So my thing is, this is, you know, a half hour of my life. I get to make an impact on you. I don't know what I'm going to say. So maybe I'll learn something from what I say. And then also you, by doing this, those 57 people, you know, especially if they're all in their twenties or they're your mom, you know, those are people that might not know about my standup. And now that they might be curious and I might get even 20 listeners from you guys. And I'm not scared to build up my brand 20 people at a time. It and really means a lot to us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, of course. Yeah. This is ideal time. Like, I used to you talk about how it's kind of this whole thing's been bad for you, 
for your career in terms of like you can't obviously you're working on like social media and stuff for us it's like it's so good be having this time because a lot of people who would never have given us the time of day i feel like are ready to do that because they have fuck all to do <laughs> we we've grown exponentially and that's kind of just from learning like will here he's we're the younger guys but he's like 23 so, so he had to learn he tiktok's a little bit out of his like age range too but you know he learned it he taught us how to edit it and how to be funny like if you, as long as you put in the time and effort like you said 20 people that's another 20 people yeah like, and like don't get me wrong we all we all want a video to go viral and get a million followers or we want to be on tv and everybody's like oh my god that's that person from tv and get a million followers but the truth of the matter is that's a very small percentage of people and the positivity of social media is that everybody before only had one avenue into getting people's attention getting their art out there, uh, talking about their unique experiences. And now everybody has a voice. Now there's tons of negativities about everybody having a voice and I could go on that forever. But <laughs> from an artist perspective, you know, my career was made, yes, I've been on TV, but most of the people know me from social media. Most of the people know me from YouTube and Instagram. And I have hours and hours of material that has just been sitting in obscurity and I made it without validation. I made it without, I made it, knowing that only 57 people were gonna hear it at the time. And I gave 100% knowing that the nice thing about the internet is that it could, it could pop off at any time. And that's really what happened. Like I had one video go viral um, when I put out my first album five years ago called Feminist Expositions. And that got me a lot of fans and a lot of press and it really helped me tour and get stuff going. But really a year ago, I put up an abortion joke um, called going off birth control um, or oh. off birth control or whatever. And it's a really dark joke, um, very much similar to the tweet that I kind of said in the sense that like, it's a little bit of a fucked up turn. And that's, that got like 100,000 views. And I was like, oh, everything was getting 400 views. That's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And then next thing you know, all my videos are starting to get half a million views. I start gaining 10,000 fans at a time. And people are, and what's cool about it is because I had a foundation of hours of material and years of work, when people discovered me, they didn't go, oh, that was one funny video and forget about me. They go, that was funny. Then they watched all my videos. Then they listened to all my albums. Then they watched a web series from seven years ago. Then they watched an animated web series from five years ago. Then they were like, when are you coming out with a special? When can I see you live? And all that foundation was set so that what I did the last five to 10 years wasn't a waste of time. And I think that's where, whether, whether you like Gary Vaynerchuk or not, he's saying you have to stop waiting for validation in the moment to create. You should create for yourself and for the fans that you want. And eventually, if you learn a little bit of social media and you keep putting your stuff out there, they will find you. And that wasn't true even five years ago. Yeah, I, I don't really dis I don't dislike his message. I just don't dislike him popping up being like, hey, guys, it's Gary here. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I mean, I have so many like hate comments that are like, your voice is the worst. And I was like, well, fucking put auto tone on it and like listen to what I'm saying because I can't get, change the fact that this is my voice. Would you mind doing an ask Reddit while we have you here? Because what, what, what we usually do with the two guests we've had before, um, <laughs> we'll do like an ask credit and like sometimes it goes this way, that way. 
I don't know. Usually, I just don't know. I just don't know what that is. It's basically just an internet question, an internet question that we found funny. You just got enough uh, for six hundred thousand dollars, but to collect it, you got to have sex with the main character of the last TV show you watched. Oh, I've been rewatching Thirty Rock, so it would be oh. Liz Lemon. Yeah, and so basically, I'm just having sex with myself. So, uh, <laughs> I, I would totally do that. I would know exactly what she wants. Uh, You're lesbians. Just validation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well played. Yes. Um, yeah, I could totally have sex with my TV version of myself for money. <laughs> I'm, I'm on Ozark, and I think Ruth from Ozark, I would just love her to just dominate me, make me, <laughs> make me like. Is Ruth the one who was in Love Actually? No, she no, yeah, she's the yeah, one. No, no, yeah. that's not Ruth. No, she was in. Yeah, she was. Ruth, in no, Ruth show is too. the one who's like, I don't give a fucking shit she's about. Not a main fuck. That's not a main character. She's like a side. We're talking <laughs> no, about the, you're talking no, about the wife like... from Jason Bateman. <laughs> I mean, I fuck Jason Bateman also. <laughs> I just watched uh, SpongeBob, oh. so I guess um, Patrick Star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, but he's like, you would have sex with him, and then he's like a pillow. Like that's he's got a bunch nice. of holes. <laughs> yeah, he's so fluffy. So, well, who are you gonna have sex with, dude? Uh, Cosby, Bill Cosby. Uh, I know that's <laughs> <is> terrible. <laughs> you literally look like an '80s rapist. That is. That's so kind bad. of that is kind of my like your vibe, brand? my brand right now. Oh, great, great, awesome. Oh, oh great. No, we're breaking up. I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, guys, yeah, these, no, guys these guys are creepy. <laughs> <laughs> these just got crinkly. In my defense, we I've done quarantine started maybe March fifteenth. We. I've done maybe th like two and a half loads of laundry since then. Because my oh, oh, dude, I've showered four times in the last few months. I, yeah, you said is, that when I was booking you. I was like, you were like, my, scour my shower schedule is pretty lax. So anytime after one is usually yeah, good. You're probably setting a lot yeah. for that now. Yeah. Oh, dude, I've, my boyfriend has turned to me and he's like, are you going to shower today? And I was like, I don't know. I don't feel like I need. To. I literally was like, I don't feel like I need to, and I was like, oh, is this like when somebody offers you gum, and you're like, no, thank you, and they keep handing it to you because it's not really a choice. <laughs> this is the English kind of stereotypes, which I'm, I'm annoyed to be embracing right now. But after like three or four days of sleeping at different people's houses, I remember during this time I actually forgot like how I brushed my teeth. Like I was brushing my <laughs> teeth after like four days of not brushing my teeth. And it took, I was just like confused about like the, my usual way of doing it. <laughs> just like rub it up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <You're> like, <laughs> nice. I think, um, I think we're all going to have trouble. Like both the fact that we're probably not supposed to touch people when we greet people, but I think it's going to be like really awkward to see people in real life. Like I ran into a friend in the line at the grocery store and I was like, Hey, hey <laughs> how's it? Like, I literally was like, I don't even know how to start this sentence. Like I was like, you can't ask how work is going. Nobody has a job. What are you going to be like? You lost anybody this week? Like, <laughs> like, like, so weird. Like, I just don't know. There's like no way to have small talk. You can't hug somebody. You can't ask them how work's going. You don't want to ask about their private life because, like, you're like, you really want to be like, so what are you getting at the grocery store? I mean, we just got this job last week and the entire first day, they didn't tell me that my fly was open. <laughs> so at the end of the day my boss on the first day was like oh, i just want you to know your fly has been open all day 
And then he was like, you were talking to customers like that. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> Why wouldn't he tell you? I guess like we're at this place where like if I'm wearing a mask, it really doesn't matter if your dick is out. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, at that same job, I was actually really happy because I was talking to one of the people there with my mask on. I'm really awkward in conversation. So I'll, like I'll smile if I think that they want. I'm like, I have, to, I have to smile for this part. Okay. But then I realized I was smiling under my mask and they, they didn't know. And I was like, oh, wait, this is awesome. I don't have to smile anymore and look really weird. I can just be frowning because I don't care what you're saying. And exactly. I can, I can just be, I could, they don't know it. They don't know. And it's <laughs> awesome. I love it. <laughs> I feel like we're going to have like, you know how like you kind of like secretly give the middle finger or whatever, or, like you do stuff behind your back. I feel like there's going to be like a weird, like go fuck yourself, but it's going to be like with your tongue, like something that only you know. <laughs> <laughs> poking, yeah, poking out the side of the mask or something like that. You're like, me? I mean, I guess, I mean, I wanted to get back. I mean, this is a question that's randomly on this piece of paper. I don't know who put it here, but do you have any advice for someone who wants to do stand up but is terrified for putting himself out there? I don't know. Maybe, totally, maybe they're 24, live with their parents, and work at Best Buy. Well, it's, totally by not, chance. it's totally not me. I don't know why. Yeah, it's on this yeah of course. It's so yeah, no, this arbitrary question that nobody knows about. My thing is this just start. Like, just, you know, this is a hard time to start because there is no performance level, but also there's some value to not having the pressure to get on stage because really what you should be doing right now is getting in the habit of writing everything down. And the way I kind of work is I have the idea and I write the little, like the little idea. So the, I write it down, whether it's in a notebook, in my notes, on my phone, whatever. The I, as soon as you have the idea, fucking write it down. Don't mull it over because you're going to forget it. Even if it doesn't, even if it goes from your brain to the paper and you're like, this is stupid, write it down. You have to break that filter. And that's the most important thing you can do in the beginning. Thought, write it down. Even if, even if the idea isn't funny, even if the idea is that everybody is, more people have died in this than Vietnam. I feel like there's something funny about that. <laughs> is there? I don't know. No, there's definitely something you can make. Fucking write it down. No so you write it down without the pressure. It, every thought gets written down. You don't know where it's going to go. Every, you break that habit of judging your thoughts. You write it down. Then the next step is fleshing it out and trying to find what is unique about the idea, where humor could be. Like most people try to go, what's funny about this? And I think that's really um, a really stunted way of looking at humor. I personally, as somebody that is a personal comic, I go, what are the deep emotions of this? What are the, what are the where's the passion? Am I deeply uh, upset? Am I like voraciously angry? Am I completely confused? Am I heartbroken? Am I overjoyed? What is the emotion behind this? And then from that, I pull back the layers and I go, well, why am I this angry? Why am I so confused? Why? And you, as you pull back the layers, that's where you're going to find the humor is because sometimes I am so absurdly mad about something that nobody can relate to and I have to figure out why. And then sometimes I'm absurdly mad and everybody relates to it. Traffic jams, uh, um, breakups, being lied to, being cheated on. But you can keep pulling back the layers of your thoughts and showing a part of you that either people won't admit to, to or that is so weird and unique that shows why you are the person you are. So whether it's something that's in the news, whether it's something that happened in your life, you need to start writing down every idea you have then you need to start fleshing it out in an honest way. Even if nobody sees it, even if you still don't get to the funny part of it, you have to start watching your thoughts and, and, and deep diving into how you feel about things and really get to know yourself. And then from there, you can start constructing it and starting using some comedy tools that you might've seen in 
um, and shows that you watched and stand up that you watched and books that you've read, but you need to have a watchful eye on yourself first. And then you can also have a watchful eye on what you take in. So if you laugh at a joke, you should be going, well, why do I find this funny? What is it? What is it? Was it the twist? Was it the fact that I feel that way too? And then you can watch bad comedy and do the same thing. Why is this trash? Why don't I like this? Why doesn't this work for me? And then you can start to try to um, have a watchful eye to not make those bad habits. So really it's about the same self-awareness you should have as a person. You start to have it as a comedian and you have to stop whatever we, I don't know when we started judging ourselves, whether it was when we were a kid or because of school or because of society, but you have to start breaking that mental habit and you can first do it alone. And then you start to get brave enough to do it on stage. That's very good advice. Yeah. That, that's, <laughs> thank you. Um, I'm actually going to, I think I'm going to condense that and put that, <laughs> like, I'm going to take some of the things from the, cause we don't usually release a zoom call, but I'm going to mm -hmm. take definitely some of the things that you've made and make a video and post it to my Instagram. No, you can't do that. <laughs> like, why? Do that. No, no, and say wise words from Liz Mealy, like great having her on the podcast. I mean, so. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I said it. Okay, Don't cut it up to where it's like every other word and I'm just like, you know, Nazis are the best. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, now we don't have to cut it up. You just said it. <laughs> yeah, <too late. laughs> um, you're just like, your Nazi sympathizer Liz Mealy was on today. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> yeah. That'd be really hard sell for my Jewish boyfriend. He's like, I knew <laughs> he's like, I knew there was something weird about you. Well, he's trying to put me in the closet. Those alarms were getting. Uh, I didn't know there was yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those alarms started to sound like sirens. I started peeling back those layers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Is there anything else? Uh, I just yeah. Meet? I just want to say you got your. So I see you have your self help me special on YouTube coming on Saturday, at the end of the month, right? Yeah. Oh, thank you. I probably would have forgotten. Yes. So uh, my, my third hour, and this one is a special, I recorded it in November in New York. So I'm self I self-produced it. I'm self-releasing it. Um, there's this thing on YouTube where you can premiere it. So it'll play at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on, um, on YouTube. And you can watch it with me and like write comments and be like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. And I'd be like, thank you so much for your contribution. So that's cool. And then after that, it's just publicly on YouTube forever. So it's going to come out as an album and then also as a special May 30th. And um, yeah, I'm really proud of it. It's a lot of storytelling, um, a lot of, you know, my hands move a lot, a couple abortion jokes. It's fun, fun for the whole family, really. Yeah, we're excited. Yeah. Thank yeah. you very much for Thank doing this. Thank you so much so for doing this. We in no way, shape, or form deserve this. I'm really happy <laughs> no, I shot that. my shot. Um, <laughs> you did. Thanks so much for the advice. And I uh, really hope the listeners can take something away because I think this is you know, one of the best conversations I've had with someone who's not like a parent or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've birthed you guys. <laughs>
can. Can't do anything to stop it, it's just a part of life. So, um... Yeah, I'm really sorry. Hope she has a good last while. Hope she makes it. Um... You're a great guy, Jim.